Turn with me in your Bibles or on your device to Luke chapter 15. Uh, The scripture will also be on the screen, but we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 32 of Luke chapter 15. Uh, And I want to thank you in advance uh, for your prayers for my family and I as we take uh, some time away uh, and some study leave during September. Uh, And also, uh, if you haven't already, uh, I would encourage you to please wish uh, Pastor Matt Mantooth uh, and a music ministry director, Henry Golat, a, a happy birthday. Uh, they both celebrated their birthdays this past week. Uh, so please uh, extend well wishes to them. Uh, also, tomorrow is, is my second COVID birthday. Uh, and I remember celebrating my 40th out in the Grove uh, last year. And I would just uh, ask you to please continue praying uh, that the Lord would deliver us from this virus and from its effects. And that until he does that, that he would make us patient and that he would make us faithful and that he would make us wise and that he would grant us the grace to continue loving one another uh, and our neighbors well and to continue together to, to pursue with all of our might the peace and the purity and the prosperity and the unity of his church here at Back Creek. Last week in in Luke 15, uh, verses 1 through 10, we saw that that sinners are drawn to Jesus. The tax collectors and the sinners drew near to hear him. We also saw that, that Jesus is drawn to sinners. The Pharisees and the scribes grumbled about Jesus. This man receives sinners and eats with them. But we're going to see further uh, in this passage, in this chapter today, that Jesus doesn't merely receive sinners. He runs toward them. That Jesus not merely receives sinners. He runs toward them. So look with me at Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And if you're able, I'd ask you to stand in honor of God's word. And he, that's Jesus, said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you. Heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and bring a ring. Uh, Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord for his word and ask for his help. Oh, Lord, our God, we look to you in this time to take this story so beautifully and powerfully told, Lord Jesus. Would you use this in our lives to help us see, Lord, your nature and your character, to help us see the love that you have for sinners, rebellious sinners and self-righteous sinners. And Lord, help us to find ourselves in this story and respond to your love, respond to your grace, Lord, that we might be transformed. We do love you and pray that in this time you would renew us in your love. Lord, that we would truly be assured that you love us and that you call us your own. And Lord, that our hearts would be filled to overflowing with love for you and response, love for one another and love for our neighbors. Lord, help us to see how it is that you run toward us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. During this COVID-19 pandemic, there's been one group of people that we have seen, in particular, run toward those who are sick and those who are suffering when everybody else is withdrawing from them. And those are our healthcare professionals. And I, I want to say thank you publicly to the doctors and nurses and support staff, and especially those who are part of our faith family. Thank you for the way that you have continued to run toward the sick and the dying, sacrificing personally to minister to others in their suffering. And watching this happen, watching you do this, it challenges me, and it convicts me, and it instructs me, and it reminds me of the heart of Christ. The heart of Jesus, who, who said, it is not the well who have need of a doctor, it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus is drawn to sinners. In the same way that a healthcare professional, we've seen them be drawn to those who are sick and hurting and dying. Jesus is drawn to sinners, and he tells the scribes and the Pharisees two stories to demonstrate that reality. Jesus is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 in the open field and goes to find the one sheep who has wandered off. 
Jesus is like the woman who has 10 coins and loses one and searches throughout the whole house until she finds it and then calls her friends to rejoice with her that she has found her lost coin. And and who Jesus is as one who is holy, completely and totally morally perfect and yet is drawn to sinners. Who Jesus is draws sinners to him. The text tells us that the the tax collectors and the sinners were drawing near to hear him. And when they drew near to Jesus to hear him, he told them, all right, I'm glad you're here. It's time for you to clean up your act. It's time for you to try harder and do more and be better. Then you can come and follow me, right? No. Of course not. What Jesus did was he received them. He embraced them. He ate with them. He showed them that they were right to be drawn to him, that he really is the all-surpassing treasure. Jesus certainly did not leave them in their sin, but he loved them in their sin. And so Jesus tells a third parable, showing that he doesn't merely receive sinners, but that he runs toward sinners. And this parable is often referred to as the parable of the, the prodigal son. Or the parable of the lost son, and that is the title that I I put in the bulletin for this Sunday. But often when this passage is taught or written about, the focus is on uh, one of the two sons, or, or both of them. And that's completely valid. And honestly, we could take weeks and weeks and weeks and and have an entire series structured around this particular parable. And we could mine it for all the gold that is here and we would never exhaust it. And we could look at it from different angles and we would never discover all the treasure that is here for us. But today, I just want us to focus on the father in the parable. The father in the parable is the one to whom Jesus connects himself. The Father represents Jesus as the one who is drawn to sinners and, in fact, runs after them. A man has two sons, Jesus tells us. And first, we see that the the younger son ran from his father in rebellion, but his father ran after him. The younger son runs from his father in rebellion, but his father runs toward him in love. The younger son rejects his father's authority and rebels against him, demanding that he be given his inheritance now. In this time and in this culture, um, this is like the son saying to the father, I wish you were dead. I want you to treat me as if you were dead and go ahead and give me what I would be given if you died. You know, being a, a parent is hard. And one of the the strongest impulses in us as parents is to insulate and to protect our children from anything that might possibly uh, bring them harm, including the consequences of their own bad choices. Sometimes we should step in and we should stop a harmful behavior before it causes pain. But there are other times when the best thing that we can do for our children is to allow them to experience the consequences of their choices. 
And knowing which to do takes wisdom and discernment, but this is a a valid form of discipline, and it's the path that the father chooses in our story. When the younger son runs from his father in rebellion, the father runs toward his son in heartbreaking love by giving him what he thinks he wants. The father runs toward the son in heartbreaking love by giving the son what he thinks he wants. See, the father knows that in this patriarchal culture that he has all the power. He could lean on his authority and he could refuse his son's request. He could say, you're not getting anything. In fact, I'm commanding you to stay. And this no doubt is what the Pharisees and the scribes thought the father should do as they're hearing Jesus tell the story. But see, the father knows his son. And he knows that to meet his son's rebellion with law would serve to harden his son's heart and deepen his rejection of that which is best for him. What is best for the son is relationship with the father. And the father knows that if he insists on that and he refuses the son's request and he meets rebellion with law that he will never, the son will never be able to enjoy his relationship with his father. So the father gives the rebellious son what he asks for. You ever been there? Whether with your earthly parent or with your heavenly father that you stamped your foot and so insisted that you got your own way And then, like the rebellious son, you realized it wasn't so great. The son begins to learn his lesson the hard way. It's the only way he was going to learn it. Because the father ran toward him in heartbreaking love by giving him what he wanted. We also see that the father runs toward his son in love by waiting for him. And when the rebellious son runs away in rebellion, the father runs toward him by waiting for him. The father runs toward his son by not running toward his son. Not yet. He doesn't use his resources to hire a search and rescue team to go with him to the far country to find his son and bring him home. Again, in his wisdom and in his love, the father knows that to do this would harden his son's heart and sharpen his rebellion. He knows that his son may cause great sorrow for himself in the far country, and of course he did. But this may be the only way he gets his son back. So he waits. Now this says more than the actual text tells us, but I think that in the Jesus Storybook Bible that author Sally Lloyd-Jones Uh, really gets at the heart of the father who waits for his rebellious son. While the the lost son, the rebellious son, has, has hit rock bottom, and he's sitting in the mud with the pigs and looking at the pods that they are eating and longing to satisfy his hunger with them and wrestling with what he should do next, Sally Lloyd Jones writes this, all that time, Day after day, his dad has been standing on the porch, straining his eyes, looking into the distance, waiting for his son to come home. He just can't stop loving him. He longs for the sound of his boy's voice. He can't be happy 
until he gets him back. And we know the son has an awakening. He comes to himself and he realizes that there are servants in the house of his father who are far better off than he. And he decides to go home. And while he is still a long way off, the father who, who has been waiting for him sees him. And now it is that we see the father run toward the rebellious son in love by receiving him and rejoicing over him. The son had his speech all ready to go. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he was right. The scribes and the Pharisees knew that he was right. Heck, the tax collectors and the sinners knew that he was right. He had forfeited his role and his rights as son through his rebellion. But then he saw his dignified father doing an undignified thing. He was running toward him. And before the son can open his mouth to speak, his father has thrown his arms around him and he is kissing him and welcoming home. And you can almost hear the protest in the son's voice as he acknowledges the unworthiness of his father's love. But the father is overjoyed and he says, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The father runs toward his rebellious son by letting him have what he wants, waiting for him to come to the end of himself. And when he sees him coming down the road, running to him, receiving him, and rejoicing over him. I want to ask you, is, is this your story? Were you at one time wandering off on your own, thinking that you knew what was best for your life rather than God? And that through the circumstances of your life, he brought you to the end of yourself. And through his word and the uh, extension of the gospel to you, he ran to you and received you and restored you and rejoiced over you. If so, then give the Lord praise and glory for that. But there may be someone in this room right now whose story this still is. And you're tired of running away. And you're tired of, of seeking like the, the speaker in Ecclesiastes or, or like St. Augustine to, to satisfy your longings with the things of this world because it's only temporary and ultimately they do not satisfy. And maybe you're coming to the end of yourself. Maybe you're not there quite yet, but, but you will get there. And the reality is that you, you can't do enough in this world that will satisfy you because you were created for relationship with God Almighty. And He alone satisfies. Jesus is the all-surpassing treasure. And He has allowed you to, to get what you want. He's allowed you to run far and fast away from Him. And He has waited for you. And He waits still. Have you come to the end of yourself? If you have, then turn 
to him in repentance. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who lived for you, died for you, rose again for you so that you can know the forgiveness of your sins and adoption into God's family and eternal life with him. And if you will, he will receive you. He will run to you and he will rejoice over you. The younger son runs from his father in rebellion and his father runs toward him in love. There's also an older son. And we see that the the older son runs from his father as well. And the older son runs from his father in self-righteousness. And the father runs toward his son in love. The older son runs runs away from the father in self-righteousness. And the father runs toward this son as well. The older son hears the party going on and he asks a servant, what's happening? And the servant tells him about his brother finally coming home and the older son is happy that his brother's home. Now, he's angry and he refuses to join the party. And the father notices his absence and he goes outside to get his older son and and the son's self-righteous response shows that he actually has the same attitude toward the father as the rebellious son did look these many years i have served you I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat, and I may celebrate with my friends. The older son is just as self-centered as the younger son. He sees his relationship with the father the same way, as a means to an end. Externally, he has done all the right things. He has been the good son. He has been the golden child, and he wants now what he thinks he has earned. Remember, Jesus' primary audience here is not the tax collectors and the sinners who are drawn to him, but the scribes and the Pharisees who are grumbling about that very reality. And this is how the Pharisees and the scribes relate to God. They have been so good. They have done all the right things. At least they've done a whole lot better than than the tax collectors and the sinners. And God owes them. Their approach to God is transactional, not relational. And that's why they weren't drawn to Jesus. And it's why they were angry that the sinners were and that they were received. But in telling this story, what Jesus is doing is running toward the self-righteous sinners, just as the father in the story runs toward his self-righteous son. We see that when the self-righteous, when the, when the older son runs from the father in self-righteousness, the father runs toward his son in love by coming to where he is. And he comes to where his son is physically. He goes out of the place where they're having the party to where his son is. And is this not a picture of what Jesus has done for us? He left the party. He left the glories of eternal heaven to take to himself a true body and a reasonable soul like ours so that he could be a merciful and faithful high priest for us. And he humbled himself to be obedient, to take the form of a human, to take the form of a servant, and to be obedient even to the point of death on a cross 
so that he could be our substitute, so that he could be our shepherd, so that he could be our savior. Jesus came to us. He ran toward us physically. He also ran toward us relationally. He didn't just come to to satisfy the righteous requirement of God's law so that legally we could be pardoned from our sins so we didn't have to face the consequences. He came to give us himself. He came to reconcile us to God so that we can be with him forever because he knows that he is the all-surpassing treasure. The father comes physically and he comes relationally. He entreats the son. He goes to where he is physically and he invites him. He entreats us. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He, can't, he comes to entreat us. He comes to invite us into relationship with himself. But here's the thing. The prerequisite to receiving the all-surpassing treasure, the prerequisite of receiving relationship with Christ is to lay down our self-righteousness. To lay down any thought that we are good enough. To no longer think that, that we are okay. That somehow on the day of judgment when we stand before a holy God that our goodness is somehow going to outweigh our sin. To abandon any attempt to merit favor before Almighty God, which His Word tells us clearly and repeatedly we have no hope of doing. If we're going to come to Jesus, we have to lay down our self-righteousness, and the older son wouldn't do it. And so we see that the father runs toward his son in love by reminding him of their relationship. He goes to where he is, He entreats him to join the party. And when the son won't lay down his self-righteousness, he reminds him of their relationship. He calls him son. Some translations say, my child. The older son has been relating to the father in a transactional way. He hasn't been relating to him as a a child to their father. He's been relating to his father as if he were a steward or a servant or an employee, and he is not content with his wages. Have you related to God in this way? As if you have a transactional relationship with the Lord where he has given you a set of rules to follow, and if you do a reasonable job of following those particular rules, then he owes you. And that you have the expectation of his blessing and acceptance. This is how the son was relating to the father. And the father says, son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. So the real treasure is not what the son thinks the real treasure is. The son thinks that the real treasure is what he can get from his father on the basis of his good record. The real treasure that he's missing is relationship with his father, of belonging to his father and being his. And in the context of that relationship, all that the father is and all that the father has belongs to the son. He wants the stuff. He doesn't want the relationship. He wants the blessing, but he doesn't want his father. 
And so we see that the Father runs toward His Son in love by inviting Him once more into rejoicing. He invites Him into rejoicing. The reality is is that those who don't think they need grace will not extend it to others. Those who think that they do not need grace will not extend it to others. And those people, self-righteous people, people who think that they have it all together, people who think that they have merited favor before Almighty God, people who think that they're better than you, how much do they rejoice? There's no rejoicing in them. And tragically, there's no rejoicing over them either. They will stand with their arms crossed while, center, while sinners walk past them into the kingdom of heaven. Jesus tells about the rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. He tells about the party that the Father throws for the lost son. But He doesn't give us a conclusion to this story. He leaves it as a cliffhanger. Why does He do that? Why does Jesus tell us the, the, the resolution of the lost sheep? Why does he tell us the, the, the resolution of the lost coin? But when it comes to the, rebel, the, the self-righteous son, we don't get a conclusion. It's because even in the telling of this parable, Jesus is running toward the self-righteous in love. He is going to where they are. He is reminding them that they can have Him, and in Him, they can have everything. He is inviting them to the party. Sadly, what we know from the rest of the Gospel witness is that by and large, the scribes and the Pharisees stood outside like the older brother with their arms crossed, and they watched prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners and us enter the kingdom of heaven before them. And I would just ask you, is this your story? I'm a pastor's kid. And while my natural bent is toward rebellion, my parents had a way of straightening that out. And I find that both of these sons live in me. The rebellious son at times. And the self-righteous son at times. And what I have faithfully found is that the Lord Jesus Christ runs to me. He runs to me in my rebellion sometimes by letting me have what I want until I come to the end of myself and then he receives me and rejoices over me. I find that sometimes he lets me run in my self-righteousness thinking that I have it all together and he comes to where I am. And he entreats me once again. He reminds me of our relationship, that our relationship is not based on my righteousness as if I had any, but on his. And once again, he invites me to the party. So I don't know whether you line up with the rebellious son or the self-righteous son or both or, or somewhere in between. Know this. The Lord Jesus Christ is running after you and he is ready to receive you and to rejoice over you today. Come to him. Jesus 
What a friend for sinners. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for telling this beautiful, powerful, amazing story. Thank you for illuminating our hearts and our minds, Holy Spirit, that we might see ourselves there. That we might be convicted of either our rebellion or our self-righteousness. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see you. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would help us to know that, that you have loved us from before the foundation of the world. That in your great love for us, you have given to us everything, including your Son. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that in laying down your life and taking it up again, you have given to us every spiritual blessing in you, that you have raised us to sit with you in the heavenly places, that you have given us a future hope of resurrection and eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth where you will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more longing, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor death anymore. Lord, help us, if we're running from you, stop us dead in our tracks. Receive us again and let us enter the party. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.